You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code Vox MMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to The Fighter versus The Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin. And after a very crazy UFC 280 weekend, we called it the biggest fight card of the year. I think it lived up to that billing. And I am happy to welcome in as my co-host today, a man who was helping to analyze the fights on ESPN on Saturday night, one of my favorite guys to speak to in the sport. We're going to talk everything that went down to UFC 280. Alan Joban. Alan, how are you? I'm good, man. As I was telling you before the show, I'm recovering. I didn't have to go to Abu Dhabi. I was in Bristol, Connecticut. So that made it easier. But uh, anytime you have these big fights and you're putting a bunch of energy and research into these fights, it's like it just it takes out of you, man. It takes it out of you when you're traveling and stuff. But um, I was pleased with the fights. Pleased with the it delivered. I wish some of the things would have went differently, which we're going to get into. You know, the injury with TJ was a letdown. And don't know if I agreed with some of those decisions. But uh, they delivered all in all. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Of course, your insight is so valuable. We love having you on the show, so I appreciate you doing the breakdown. Let's uh, let's start with the main event, of course. Islam Makachev going out there and just dominating Charles Oliveira. Now, I'll be honest. I did my my pre-show was with Anthony Smith. Funny enough, who was your 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 broadcast partner on on Saturday yeah. night, and we both were like. You know, Makachev's great, but Oliveira's a Terminator. You know, this guy's, you know, he's fought the competition. And that was my biggest criticism of Makachev. It wasn't that I didn't think he was good. It's just he hadn't gone through Gaethje and Poirier mm-hmm. and Chandler and all those kind of guys. Boy, I tell you what, it's not that I was not a believer of Islam Makachev, but whatever doubt I had was answered on Saturday nights. He delivered. He delivered. And I mean, I don't think I would be off by saying that he dominated. I mean, we didn't think he was going to dominate like that, but he did. I mean, he he was able to beat up Charles Oliveira in the striking, which we hadn't really seen before. We've seen him 
he gets hurt in every fight, obviously. He's been dropped in his last three fights. Poirier, you know, hurt him. Every All those guys, Chandler, Poirier, Gaethje. But then he finds a way back. A lot of those guys, he hurts them back. He wasn't able to hurt back Islam. And I think that that uh, that kind of showed what Islam was. I mean, my, my, I'm saying it now differently. Makachev, Mahachev, there's <laughs> two ways of saying it. Um, Islam looked great. But I got to say, Damon, like, I'm a little... I thought that Charles Oliveira rushed it. I think he jumped the gun a bit too much. He made that statement before the fight saying, I'm going to finish him in the first round. And sometimes you make statements like that that are bold and they sell fights and they make things intriguing. You don't always have to live up to what you say by that. You just got to go and win. Nobody will hold you to the to, to what you said. Oh, you finished him in the third round or went to decision. You said the first round. Nobody's going to care because you won the fight. He went out there trying to finish him in the first round and it hurt his game plan he got he put himself in a bad situation he was right in striking range letting islam land his strikes he was able to get taken down very easily he hurt himself i think by making that bold statement and then trying to follow through with that bold statement yeah and also you know and to, to charles's credit like when it did hit the ground he didn't really get in a lot of danger from islam because islam's a, a nasty ground and pound nasty grappler we know from that Khabib school of, of ground and pound, but he, he stayed out of trouble. But I feel like I, I just, I feel like that was a weird performance from Charles and a, just a stellar performance from Islam. It was kind of like the combination of the two things. Cause Charles, again, he'd been so good about recovering from, from getting hurt and he didn't really do it. It wasn't that he didn't do that. He just came out there with a different style than we've really seen him fight. I thought he would, I thought it was going to be a, a, a style of, can Charles get it done on the feet versus Islam on the ground? It didn't really play out that way. Charles got hurt a couple times on the feet. He made that the the, the jumping knee in the second round, which clipped him again, dropped him, and then Islam just pounced mm-hmm. on him, got that arm triangle, and tapped him in seconds. I mean, I was I was shocked how quickly that that whole sequence played out. And and and, and the sharpness, the sharpness of Islam striking. You know, it's um, we interviewed Daniel Cormier on the show afterward, and. Um, Daniel knows Islam. He knows that camp better than anybody, probably better than any analysts. You know, we study them, but Dan, uh, DC has been in there with him. And I asked Dan, I said, what do you, what do you think about this new evolved striking for Islam? The best we've ever seen it. Is this something we might be able to see more of moving forward in his career? And he kind of disagreed with me. He goes, you know, I don't think his striking's evolved at all. This is what it's always been. Uh, he just hasn't had a chance to show that. And I thought about that for a long time. And I thought about when we got done with that interview and I was like, has it been like that? And and I see two parts of it. Daniel was right in terms of we haven't got to see how good Islam striking is because he's been able to just dominate everybody on the ground. He hasn't been able to show it. But then when you really do dig down and, and, and research fights that he wasn't able to get the, the takedown right away, uh, or Man or... Um, Sarukian or um, uh, uh, I can't some of the guys' names, but he's been stuffed. He's been taken down. He hasn't been perfect inside the octagon, and he's had to stand and trade. And the majority of those fights, his striking wasn't that good. It wasn't as crisp. It was low kicks. He actually has decent kicks. He'll throw low kicks. He'll throw head kicks. He'll throw one shot, and then he'll try to throw a punch and and and, and, and force a collision. I thought he was very measured and calculated and crisp in this one, right? As soon as he felt threatened by Charles Oliveira in this strike, in this fight, you saw a very calm in the pocket striker. So I guess what I'm alluding to is Islam may have always had the striking in the gym, but he didn't feel comfortable 
in the cage, sitting in the pocket, throwing combinations. This was the first fight that we've seen his striking sit in the pocket with the most dangerous finisher in Charles Oliveira and win the striking exchange inside the pocket. He didn't even need the force to take down. And so that makes him an even scarier champion now. Yeah, and it's it is scary. And and I think also, you know, and I think also, you know, you know this, you know, when you're when when strikers are fighting wrestlers or a guy who doesn't necessarily want to be taken down, wrestlers can surprise them with punches. We saw it with Khabib and, and Connor, not to bring it back to, you know, his coach, but when Khabib fought Connor, everyone said it was striker versus grappler. Con- Khabib knocked down Connor with a punch. You know what I mean? When you're in that frame and you're so concerned about the takedown, you're so concerned about the wrestling, you kind of forget about the hands. Yeah, I think it came back to it came back to bite Connor in that fight, and I think it came back to bite Charles in this fight. I think he thought I think Charles thought he was going to knock him out. You know what I mean? I thought he thought that was the mismatch. Didn't play out that way, and I think it surprised him. And Islam's the real deal. Like I said, I didn't. I again, I'm saying this in all honesty. I wasn't. A, I didn't not believe in him. I just didn't have the proof to back it up because he hadn't fought Gaethje, he hadn't fought Poirier, he hadn't fought Chandler. What is there to go by? Exactly. <laughs> what was there to go by? His last win was. Bobby Green, Bobby Green's amazing, but Bobby Green isn't the top five. Bobby Green isn't in that in that echelon. Um, Dan Hooker, Dan Hooker is amazing, but Dan Hooker has been on the decline as of recently. There wasn't a lot to go by, but he passed all those tests with flying colors. And the craziest thing about this is his fight against Charles Oliveira was probably the easiest fight that he's had in a while. I mean, he didn't take any damage. He dominated that fight in the first round. Afterwards, we saw the, you know, kind of fun. I thought it was a fairly friendly confrontation with him and Alexander Volkanovsky. You know, Habib said, we need to go down to Australia, beat the number one pound for pound guy. Of course, Alex has been building it up. Dana White has said it's going to happen. They got this big card coming up in Perth in February. Makes all the sense in the world in terms of promotion. But I'm still like, I'm an old school guy, Alan. Like, I'm a big believer in earning it. And, and, And when you got a guy like Benil Dariush, on the same card goes out there and takes out a guy. I legitimately believe Matush Gamrot could be a champion one day. He's that good. He goes out there and wins his eighth in a row. And somebody, one of my colleagues wrote an article and said, he's starting to feel a little bit like the Tony Ferguson thing where Tony was on this incredible mm-hmm. win streak and he just couldn't get the title shot. And eventually time runs out on everybody, right? Eventually it runs out on everybody ran out on Tony a little bit. I, my heart breaks a little bit for Benil Darius. Now it doesn't mean he can't get it next. But, you know, he may end up having to fight Charles. He may end up having to fight Gaethje. He may end up having to fight Poirier or Chandler, and those are all risky fights. It kind of, like, it's nothing against Alexander Volkanovsky. I think he's incredible. He is the number one guy in the world. But, like, you know, there are still challenges for him at Featherweight. They're not done. We got a big fight coming up this weekend, Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen. If Arnold Allen wins, are you going to say he's not in contention? Josh Ibbett coming off a big one over Calvin Cater. He's not in contention. I just it it breaks my heart that there's a legit number one contender at lightweight and he's gonna get sacrificed for the for the and again I get it, it's all promotion I get it, it's big and I'm not I'm not complaining about the promotion it just kind of breaks my heart that that's where it's going and, and there's two sides to the coin because not only is there other fights for Volkanovski at 45 but Islam just just won the belt he hasn't <laughs> yeah. even defended the belt now we're going super fights all of a sudden now we're going champ champ status. Um, or at least in another weight class. I, so first of all, let me say this. I agree. I think Benio Darius should be the next guy in line. Let him, and and I think if you want Islam to stay the champion, I think I think it's a decent matchup. You know, uh, Benio's dangerous on the feet, 
but but you could take him down. I mean, he showed terrific takedown defense in his last fight, but it's a very winnable fight is what I'm getting across um, for Islam. But Neil deserves the shot. After taking out everyone that he's taken out, he deserves the, the shot. But Neil needs better PR team, better. Somebody behind him has got to get behind him because anybody who's ever met Benil will say the same thing. Greatest dude ever. I've met him. I've rolled with him. Such a down-to-earth, likable, cool. We'll roll with you. We'll show you stuff while he's training. Solid dude. He's too nice. And the fight game doesn't like nice people, right? You have to demand something. You have to call something out. You have to make a soundbite. And I was telling everyone, I was at Bristol at ESPN. I go, Benil's winning the fight. And I go, Benil wins his fight. He had better take that hot mic and call out a title shot. He had better not go straight to thank you, Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you to my coach. Thank you to my wife. And it ended there. If he does that, he's shooting himself in the foot. Sure enough, he wins the fight. And all he did was think, and, and I don't want our religious people to get mad at me, but you know what I'm getting at, guys. It's not time to thank God. You thank God and then you move on. You can't make the whole thing about religion and family and whoever's next, I'm happy with it. No. If you want the title shot, you have to say, I want that belt and I'm next in line. I'm on the same card. Whoever wins tonight between Islam and Oliveira, I'm next in line. You have to make a soundbite for the UFC to promote this fight. But if they have nothing after the fight to promote a possible matchup, how are they going to make that matchup? And he shot himself in the foot. I mean, he's on an eight-fight win streak, as you said. He didn't. He not only did he not call out the champ, I don't think he called out anyone above him or anybody at all. He didn't make a single call out. He thanked, he thanked the people in line. He thanked who, who helped him, and he walked away very humble. And as much as I love Benil, somebody has got to say, look, this is a business decision. If you make the right call out, we get the title fight. You make a million dollars rather than making a hundred thousand dollars. Like this is, has got to be calculated and it wasn't thought out. Somebody helping him give him that push. Um, so I was let down with that. I was, I was let down. And, and I think that's going to help just push this title fight. I mean, the title fight's happening now, right? Right. When you look Volkanovsky, he got inside the cage, like DC said, when they get inside the cage and they face off, boom, there's your promotional shot right there. So, I mean, the fight has happened. I wish Benio would have done more to call his shot and make it make it enticing. Yeah, and here's the thing. I appreciate that Benio's a genuine dude. Like, I appreciate that he's not going to suddenly change his personality to try. It's someone uh, uh, Dial it Aspen, up, though. Dial it yeah, up. Aspen Ladd had a funny quote. I talked to you. She said, there's a lot of discount Connors in the sport. It's true. There's a lot of people who try to be that, and it's just really it doesn't work for them. But you don't have to be disrespectful. You don't have to go crazy and say, like, you know, it's about your father and your mother and, like, all this. It's just, I'm the guy. I'm the look, guy. I should be the number one Bilal. guy. Yeah, Look Bilal. at Bilal Muhammad. Bilal, he used to never, like, call everybody out. He was never that guy. He changed. He he And, and he didn't even really alter his personality. He just kind of got confidence and said, I get it. I understand the game. Bilal understands the game now, man. Look at him. He's he's propelled to the top now because he's always making the right call outs. Yeah. It's just, it's a bummer because the guy deserves it. He's not going to get it. And you're right. You're absolutely right. And like I said, there's a respectful way to make a call out, right? Like there's a very respectful way to call it out without making, you know, insane statements or trash talk or going Colby Covington. You can be a respectful guy and say, I'm the guy I'm number one contender. Islam Charles, pay attention. Whoever wins this fight, I'm next. 
that's not that's not disrespectful. That's not crazy. You know, and you're right. Like I get it. But yeah, you kind of shoot yourself in the foot a little bit when that doesn't. And now, because we know it's gonna, we know it's gonna be Vulcan. unless somebody gets injured or or there's just some kind of weird, bizarre thing happens. It's gonna be Volkanovski and Makachev in February. We already know. Yeah, it's the only people that want Benil to fight are the people that follow fighting and they know his resume. He's on an eight fight win streak. He's like, you have to look at his resume, but you don't. His name doesn't jump to mind. Benil, dear, you're just killing it right now. Like. Unless you're an enthusiast, but for the general fan base, they don't know who Benil is. And if he would have said something, it would have helped them. Um, God, I hate, you know, see, and it, it bugs me because this is one of the things that like when young fighters ask me, what, what's your advice? This is the advice I give them because this is what I would have changed about me. I was always like in war mode when I would go into fights. And then if I'd get interviewed, I'd be like, you know, I just was, I would be honest, but I wouldn't like call the shot. I wouldn't take my personality and dial it up. I'd say, you know what? I want a top five guy. I want to fight the champ. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if you're number 15 calling for number one, it puts you in that conversation. It makes people think. It allows you to go from instead of 15 to 14, 15 to nine, 15 to 10. Um, He's got to change it. Otherwise, he's going to do it for Tony Ferguson. He's going to fight his way all the way through the top until he has an off night. Somebody beats him, and then he's all the way back down the ladder and never getting a shot again because you're not going to go on another nine-fight win streak. He's got to make a smart decision now. Yeah, absolutely. Let me shift gears to the co-main event where Aljamain Sterling defended his title with a TKO victory over TJ Dillashaw. Of course, we all know in the fight, TJ separated his shoulder a couple times. Um, let me start there, Alan, because listen – you're a fighter. You know this far better than I do. Um, fighters all go into fights dinged up. We all know this. No one ever goes into the cage 100%. If you are, you probably didn't go through a rough training camp because every fighter I've ever talked to said, the fight's not the hard part. The training camp's the hard part. That's where you're beating the hell out of your body, you know, four or five hours a day for six, eight, ten weeks. Um, so nobody goes in there, you know, healthy. We all know that. No one goes in 100%. But I got to be honest. Like, can we, we, we can have a larger conversation about you know, the commission or the UFC or doctors who are examining TJ Dillashaw that allowed him to go in there. We can have that conversation. Sure. But I really do have a problem that TJ went in there, compromised, fully compromised. We knew he was, there was, there was, he had, he, his statistical chances of winning that fight were next to zero because he's fighting the best band to win where Aljamain Sterling is that dude. Aljamain Sterling is really, really good. You're going in there, you know, you're literally, I know we joke like the old deal, you're going into, a, you know, against a, a, a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest, that old saying. That's basically what he was doing. He was going in there one-handed <clears> against <throat> the best bantamweight in the world. To me, and I'm not, listen, I, I 100% give credit to TJ for having the, the balls. I don't know a better way to say it, like stepping in there injured. But to me, it's so disrespectful to the sport and to Aljamain and to the rest of the division you didn't just bow out, get, and I understand he's 36, you want a 37, whatever he's, you know, he's, he has limited time. He's gone through a ton of injuries already. He didn't want to risk, but wh what did he gain? He lost and, and that might be it. Like he may never get another title show. So what did you really gain by stepping in there when you're completely compromised and you're giving yourself basically zero chance to win? Yeah. I'm in agreement. I mean, I, I agree. I, I tend to root for TJ a lot. I'm not sure why he's such a, we know each other. He's a, 
he's a tremendous striker. He evolved the sport in the striking, like, you know, he kind of took some of Dominic Cruz's thing and made it his own, right? When I see guys that have tremendous heart, I root for them. When TJ, in a lot of his fights, you know, the comeback against Cody Garbrandt, the yelling in his face when he won it, like, that was tremendous. When he came back and he fought um, Sanhagen and he blew his ACL in the first round and he was still able to go five rounds, that's the kind of dog in a fight fighter that I, 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 I root for because they're, they're compromised, they're injured, they're dealing with stuff we don't know about and they're still winning fights. And then this happened. A lot of guys would have given up. A lot of guys would have given up on a spot and just tapped out. He pushed through it. He showed the agony at first, and then he hit it, and he just kept trying to find a way to get to the feet. So I gave him all the respect in the world because so many guys would have just taken the easy way out and just tapped out. It's over. It's over. I'm not 100%. How can I fight? He went for it. But you said it, Damon. Well, where does he go from now? Because now he's probably going to have to go, go have surgery. He's already had a double shoulder surgery when he got hit with the EPO suspension, both of those. Then he comes back, one fight Sanhagen, ACL surgery. Now he's out again. He's only getting older. He's 36, probably going to have to have surgery, be out almost a year. Now he's going to be 37 with a ton of injuries. The older you get, the more they don't heal as good, the more. This is what took me, this is my career. What's happening to TJ is my career. The older I got, I got better as a fighter and more skilled, but my body broke down. And then my fights started going from, five fights a year to four fights a year to three fights a year to one. Now I'm skipping years. And this is where TJ finds himself now. He's skipping years. The division is growing with younger fighters and catching up to him. And he's getting older and more and more injured. I don't, I'm not trying to throw the wrench at TJ. I don't know if we're going to see him fight again. I mean, that sounds like a bold statement, but if he has to go under the knife right now and he just lost his title opportunity, what's, What's there to come back to? Man, another year layoff? Now I'm 37, and I come back, and I got to go fight a number six, seven guy? I don't know if the title shot's ever going to be there again. I don't know if my body's going to even hold up. He couldn't even make it through training camp. That's why I had to quit. my train. I couldn't make it through training camps anymore. I feel as if we might have seen the last of TJ, and I think he probably knows that, and that's why he took the fight. He goes, let me go and give myself that 10% chance of the one-legged guy and ask a kicking contest. <laughs> because he goes, man, if I, if, I, if I back out of this fight and I go after that surgery, like, where is it now? Because time is like a loss. When you're out of the sport, it's like a loss. People forget your name. They forget your momentum. And so it, I feel for TJ. He's in a rough spot right now. And you know what else, Damon? I, I kind of feel... And you can tell me if I'm wrong on this. I might be, I solely might believe this, but Aljo's riding high right now, which he should be. But some people, like they're, they're saying now, Aljo's in a GOAT conversation, right? Because the division has never really been dominated for years, like a, a, a 205, like a John Jones or anything. It's always like three fights, two fights, and then a new champion. Now Aljo's on a three fight win streak, correct? Uh, as a champion. Some people might look at it and they say, but you look at his fights and it, his, his championship run is marred because a legal knee split decision against Jan in a rematch that some people, I mean, I'm an Aljo dude, but I kind of thought Jan won the second fight, if I'm being honest. And then this one against TJ would have, so it's like he hasn't, of no fault to Aljo, but he hasn't been able to go out there and dominate a clean, full fight and prove himself 
other than the Jan fight, that was a split decision. Um, so the whole thing compromises both guys' legacies. Yeah, it's un- and that's also and that's also unfortunate for Aljamain because Aljamain didn't do anything wrong. You know that's what, what I'm mean? saying. He, he, it wasn't he went his in there. Fault. He went in there and did what he was supposed to do, and then he finds out that you know that TJ's injured, and so it's like that's why I said it's kind of disrespectful to. It's to something the guy. That, like Suhudo's going to be like, dude, you couldn't beat a guy with one arm. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the kind of thing that like it ring it gets brought up. Yeah, we we are way too quick to anoint the whole goat status. We are one hundred percent way too quick at that. I think Aljamain's tremendous. He's not the goat yet. I mean, he's just not there yet. He's got more to no. prove. And listen, he's got time to prove it because bantamweight, in my opinion, is deeper than it's ever been and more dangerous than it's ever been. I mean, you got guys like Corey Sandhagen, uh, Cheeto Vera, Cejudo's coming back. I mean, there's a you know a deep deep list. You know, of course, Sean O'Malley. We'll talk about him in a minute. Peter Yan is still out there. I mean, come on. And that, you know, so Aljamain's got time to prove he's the GOAT. I think we're a little too quick with that. For TJ, listen, you're not wrong. TJ, there was a moment at the end of the fight, I don't know if you noticed this, he took off his glove. And I thought maybe he was going to, when he talked to, to, to Daniel after the fight, I thought he was, was going to hang it up. Like, I thought he was going to leave his gloves in the cage and say, I made one last run. I'm done. He didn't do it, of course. He said, you know, I'm going to, you know, take and you know, wait and see what happens. And I apologize to the division, so on and so forth. But I don't think you're wrong. And I'll be honest, like the one fight he could come back to, he could get the rematch with Cruz, maybe Dominic Cruz. They had that fight a couple of years ago. It was great. You know, come back for that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the last one for both guys. That'd be kind of cool, but that's a and, great fight for both men. I, great fight for both of them. And I, I know TJ is a proud guy. You know, TJ wants to be the best in the world. I have a hard time believing TJ would allow himself to come back to fight the number 14 guy. I just, I can't mm-hmm. see him being motivated you know, he came back from two years off and, and fought Corey Sandhagen. Now, I scored Corey winning that fight, but it was still a close fight. And after two years off, TJ to come back and compete with a guy like Corey Sandhagen for five rounds is incredible. I just can't see TJ coming back and saying, oh, yeah, give me that number 15 ranked bantamweight and I'm going to work my way back up to number one. I just I don't see. And, and for Aljamain, like I said, he did nothing wrong. You know, he didn't go in there. He went in there and fought his fight. He didn't know he had a dislocated shoulder, of course. And he actually, and I believe when he said, like, I didn't know it t- at the time. And then I found out, and of course, then he went after it as he should. You know, your your opponent's compromised. You should go after that. Um, and again, but it also sucks for him because now everyone's going to say, well, you beat a guy with one arm. What, what did you really accomplish? What did you really do? Right. Yeah, you know, you know what's interesting, too, when, when, when you're saying all this, Damon, that maybe reminds me i saw a tweet over the weekend from michael chiesa saying that um you know, we've always seen how hard strength and conditioning tj goes right i mean he goes harder than anybody um and the coach that he uses i don't remember his name but you know sam sam calavita yeah that's the guy's sam, name sam calavita. tremendous i mean the stuff that he has them doing is just he's so innovative but i thought chiesa had a decent point about overtraining working your fighter into the ground if you're a young fighter and your joints and 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 parts of your body could handle this or you're physically able to recover from it it's one thing but some of us are just prone to injury and i say some of us because it was me i I would train my body into the ground and i would be so banged up and i couldn't recover it retired me i'm seeing the same patterns as i mentioned in tj and when i look at some of those training sessions how hard they're going it's it i think he has got a point it could be putting too much stress on his body on his joints he's not able to recover maybe that's why he was taking some of those supplements not no not only to get 
a rec- an edge and advantage in fights, but also just to recover. He's training his body so hard. He's going to bed at night and he's and he's just broken. And so he's taking these performance enhancers to help his body just recover from what he's doing. If he does come back, I think he needs to dial it down. And I'm not just putting it on the strength and conditioning guy, although I think, man, I mean, the guy's innovative, but that's a lot of stuff to go that hard all the time. But dial it down on everything. Maybe pull back a little bit on the strength and conditioning. Maybe pull back on the three sessions a day sometimes. Like, as I got older, I went from 11 sessions a week to nine sessions a week. It, it always adj- adjusted to who I was at that time. And TJ is not the same 28-year-old guy that was a college wrestler at one point and could do all this stuff. So he needs to figure things out. Um, again, I'm always rooting for TJ. TJ's got some haters, not me. I'm, 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 uh, I love it. I love watching him fight. And I love the heart that he shows and how hard he works. But now things have to change at 36 years old and another injury. Yeah, and you mentioned, of course, the coach. I think I saw Chaos's tweet because Aaron Pico, another one of his guys, literally just had the same shoulder same injury in a fight. fight. Can't ignore that. I mean, that. it could be freakish, but could it, we don't know what it means. Yeah. Something um, to think about. With that being said, I saw post-fight, you know, what's next for Aljamain? Of course, there's a lot of talk about Henry Cejudo. Of course, Henry's going to be cleared to fight, I believe, mm-hmm. as of this month, as of October. He's passed his six months of testing with USADA to come back. Now, when Henry retired, I was kind of like, I didn't understand it. He finally reached the pinnacle of the sport, became, you know, champion, you know, beat Dominic Cruz, became I was, was kind of riding high, and then he retires out of nowhere when he's, you know, whatever he was, 32 years old, looked like he was ready to really go on a run. And then he retires out of nowhere. And then he, he I, again, I think it was a calculated move to retire because I think he wanted more money. He wanted more exposure. But I think he found out rather quickly the UFC wasn't all that, you know, let's be honest. They didn't really they didn't really bend over backwards, you know, saying, we need you back, Henry. Like when Khabib retired, Dana's flying halfway across the world saying, what can I do to get you back? One more, one more. I don't know that they rolled out that kind of red carpet for Henry, and I think he found that out. It, it sucks you find out, but I think he found that out. I don't have a problem with Henry coming back and getting an immediate title shot because unlike, you know, listen, TJ, again, I'm not trying to take it. I mean, I am taking a shot at him, but when he says I never lost the belt, well, you lost the belt because you cheated. You lost the belt because you did EPO. You didn't lose it. You didn't lose it in the, in the cage, but you did lose it because you did something bad. Henry Suda legitimately didn't lose it. He gave it up. Now we can argue and say, did he give it up? You know, when he fought the best guys in the world? Yes. He fought Dominic Cruz at that point. He fought Marlon Marias, both very, very good guys. Um, I don't have a problem with Cejudo coming back and getting a title shot, but let's be honest, Alan. And I know you mentioned at the post show, cause you did your little breakdown. You had your three fights at Bantamweight you were making Sean O'Malley and Aljamain Sterling is a massive fight. And unlike Volkanovsky and Makachev, where it's kind of a weird, like you might be passing over a guy to get there, whether you, whether you thought he won the fight or not against Peter Jan, we'll talk about that in a second. Sean O'Malley proved he's one of the best guys in the world in that Peter Yan fight. Whether you scored it for Yan or not, he proved he belongs in there. Tell me that's not a massive fight. I agree with you. I didn't have Sean winning. I thought that was a very bad call, but I'm going to move forward. As you said, he proved to everyone. Um, let me touch on Cejudo first. I agree. Well, Cejudo, <laughs> I, I think he's a character. He is one of the guys that somehow... I feel like he is able to grow his status and his brand more after he retired than when he was fighting. Yes, when he was fighting, he was the champion. He defended the belt, double champ, all these things. But since then, 
he retired and it's like his brand has grown. He's a coach. He's a gym owner. He's Mike Tyson's podcast co-host. He's, he's all these things. And he's a, he's a personality. Um, and he's got an easy life right now in terms of that. He's, he's able to afford to get married and have kids and do all these things and living a great life. And it shows he's got that fire burning inside of him. He, he felt like that he retired a little bit too early. Do I think he would come back and have as much success that he had when he left? I don't. I don't. I don't. I think the time away, it wears on you. Yes, you know, people people can go away and Dominic Cruz shows, you know, there's no such thing as ring rest. But you look at his body, how much it's changed and, and not being in the room all the time training. He's been mentally there coaching and helping people out. But um, the sport is always growing. We're seeing that. And the one thing that has grown the most in this sport in the last two years is these young grapplers. Everybody is grappling, has stepped up. So you could be an Olympic level wrestler, but everybody's catch up, has, uh, catching up in the grappling department much faster than they ever have in the sport. It's evolved so much. I don't know if he would be as dominant. And I agree. Well, strike while the iron is hot when it comes to O'Malley. That's why they put him in the slot, right? I mean, when we first saw the matchup, 12 versus one, I go, who, who does that? Who gets to skip the line? And then originally... I thought if you're 12 and you beat one, it doesn't necessarily make you flip-flop positions. You beat well, number one, maybe you come num become number three or four. But if you move the needle, it does something different. O'Malley has the gift that he moves the needle. He he's intriguing. He's got the Connor effect somewhat. It wasn't what they hoped for in this fight, the, the Jose Aldo moment where it was a knockout, and that's where his stardom skyrocketed. But he won the fight. And you know, you know, it's, I think, honestly, most about O'Malley that he got from this fight. Yes, he won the fight, and he probably is going to or maybe get a, a title shot. But O'Malley's still human, and he, and he plays he plays a game. He plays a coolness. Look at, the, look at day one O'Malley on the contender and no O'Malley today. Yeah, you grow as an individual, but that's O'Malley. O'Malley's a guy that a lot of people would have probably picked on, right? Maybe he would have beat him up, but... He would have got picked on. Now he's this cool guy with all these crazy things going on. What I'm getting at is, at the end of the day, O'Malley, you saw some of that humbleness inside the octagon. He has it inside of him. He had to be humble. He had to feel like that. He's going to earn, after this fight, which he did earn, he earned the respect from his peers. And I feel like that is going to mean more to him than a lot of other stuff, the title shot and other things. Because although... O'Malley is known by the masses. A lot of the peers, a lot of the fighters, a lot of people inside the fight game say, look, dude, you didn't, we, we, we didn't get babied into this sport. We didn't get paid the big payday right away. We didn't get favorable matchups that made sense all the time. We didn't get promoted like you. So a lot of his peers were like, dude, you're not one of us. You're the guy that gets the easy matchup. And when then you get the knockout, they play it on SportsCenter over and over. That's not us. He showed he had a dog in him. He showed that he could fight. He showed that he he wasn't going to give up and he could compete with the top guys in the world. And that, even though a lot of his peers don't think that he won, a lot of his peers now respect him as a fighter in there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And listen, the fight with with Piotr Jan was was incredible. I you know I know, and I'm not I'm not going to sit here and rehash it all over and over again from what you guys said on Saturday and what we're going to talk about now. A lot of people disagree with the decision. Let's be honest. A lot of people did. Um, I didn't think it was a robbery, though. I thought it was close. I scored when I on Saturday night. I said I leaned O'Malley in round one. 
but I wasn't confident in that. And then round three, kind of the same thing. I was like, I could see where you could say it went O'Malley. I could see where you went for Jan. The only clear-cut round to me was round two, which was Peter Jan, clearly round one round two. The other mm-hmm. two were kind of up in the air. And I don't, like I said, I, I totally understand the folks who said Peter, Peter Jan won. I, I have no problem with that. I just didn't necessarily think it was a robbery. But either way, listen, the decision's out there. As you said, we got to move on. Sean O'Malley proved he is best one, one of the best guys in the world. I don't know that anyone was going to bang the drum for Piotr Jan versus Aljamain three right away. We just kind of went through that drama with a year and a half of the the illegal knee and then the rematch and split decision. I'm not saying we'll never see it again, but I don't know that anyone was ever really banging the drum for that necessarily. But we do have a really advantageous position now where you have a big superstar in Sean O'Malley and you have kind of a polarizing champion in Aljamain Sterling. Like you said, strike while the iron's hot. Put those two together. Because, again, we don't know if it'll ever happen again. Aljamain could fight Cejudo and lose. O'Malley could fight Sanhagen and lose. And then we just never get that fight. Do it now. And I you, I know you had your matchmaking. I threw that, Here's my idea. Do Henry Cejudo against Murab Dwalishvili. There's an incredible wrestler and Aljamain's teammate and best friend. If Cejudo could beat him... Great. Give him the title shot. Give him whatever he wants at that point. And you build the rivalry for another fight with Aljamain at that point. I don't know that he gets past Murab, if I'm being completely honest. Murab's a monster. He's on a run right now, and he's not to be trifled with in his grappling, even against an Olympic gold medalist. Sean O'Malley, Aljamain Sterling, that's a pay-per-view headliner. How many times can you say that's a, like, can you, listen, I liked Henry Cejudo. This is not a knock on him. Is Henry Cejudo and Aljamain Sterling a a pay-per-view headliner? Co-main event, maybe? But mm-hmm. Aljamain's Sean O'Malley, that'll sell paper. And I know it's not all about pay-per-views, but I'm saying like that will sell. And Sean O'Malley has earned it is what I'm getting at. He, mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not, he did get a win over Peter Jan, the number one guy in the division. Henry Sudo has been out for three years or whatever it's been. Sterling, O'Malley. Do Murab and, and Cejudo as a co-main or do that on the same card. I'm fine. That would be my, that would be my suggestion. It, it 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 kind of feels, it feels like a they gave O'Malley the yawn shot because they wanted him to be the champ because he moves the needle, he wins the fight. You would think strike while the iron is hot. That's the immediate fight to be made. They just fought on the same card. It's so easy. Now, so who do get thrown in the mix? It feels like the UFC is nervous that if they make Aljo. O'Malley, it's a bad matchup for O'Malley. Aljo's going to take the bag, backpack him, and finish him. So maybe they think, put Cejudo in there. Let Cejudo fight Aljo, and then maybe if Cejudo wins, that's a better matchup for O'Malley. I- I'm not sure, to be honest. I, it's O'Malley's one of those guys, first of all, like I said, he earned everybody's respect. But now that he's in the deep waters, there's no going back. There's no going easier fight so it's only hard fights and you look at guys do we give him another striker Sanhagen mm. <laughs> Sanhagen he strikes like O'Malley is that a good matchup that's the only striker when you look at the Marabs and or the Cheeto well Cheeto's a striker but do you want the Cheeto fight it's a lot of tough matchups in there and so they you have to be calculated which fight they want but I'm in agreement. you just had the two guys on the same card for a reason so that they can make a statement that night and set up the super fight between them that's a fight to make yeah absolutely uh before i get you out here alan one other guy i want to mention you talked about him a little bit earlier can we talk real quick about Bilal muhammad 
once again proving people wrong you know he fights damian maya okay i would say he was favored to win because damian's a little bit on the you know, latter part of his career but still not just an mm-hmm. automatic pick he fights wonder boy again yes striker versus grappler but wonder boy is you know still a legitimately dangerous dude mm-hmm. he fights vicente luque just one of the most exciting fighters of the sport finishing people left and right nasty nasty finisher you know he already knocked out in Bilal a few years earlier once again, Bilal goes out there and does it. And then this fight, Sean, listen, I'm guilt. I said it when Sean Brady came in, I said, we should be paying as much attention to Sean Brady as we were paying to Hamza Chamaya. Cause I said, Sean Brady is that dude. That dude is a monster. He's a grappler. He's nasty. And everyone I talked to about Sean Brady said, that's the guy. That's the guy who's going to be champion. He was an, he was a favorite over Bilal Muhammad, number five guy in the world, a favorite. And I talked to very few people in the industry who picked Bilal Muhammad to win that fight. Now, pat myself on the back a little bit. I did pick him to win. I thought maybe it was just a little bit too much too soon for Sean Brady when you're matching grappler against grappler. If that's not there for you, how do you do? Well, we saw the grappling wasn't there. Bilal made the adjustments, knocked him out on the feet in the second round. I said on Saturday night, put some damn respect on this guy's name. How about Bilal with the knockout finish, though? I mean... Bilal gets a lot of shit. I, I'm, I'm a fan of Bilal, right? I mean, obviously we fought a long time ago, and we started working together, and that's kind of where the friendship derived from. Met him, super like humble, chill, good dude. I just felt like he was genuine, right? Um, and so we started hanging, talking, training. I'll text him something now and then. It's a good dude. Sort of rooting for him, and I noticed as I would comment on like social media. The amount of hate that I would get on my comment for his made me think, what is he going through on a daily basis? Every time he posts something, they just throw him under the bus. Bilal, the the snooze fest. Bilal, the decision maker. Bilal, this with no power in his hands. Bilal calls out people but doesn't really want to fight him. And then Bilal comes in and fights the guy that nobody wanted to fight in Brady and knocks him out. I mean, that could not have gone any better, any better. I mean... For a knockout victory on Bilal, I don't. I think he might have like two or three of them, and to do it over a guy like that, Brady, a guy that, you know, he's Brady's been just going up there. He's the guy, Brady took down Michael Chiesa. Brady, Paul Felder said the strongest man he's ever gone with, and he couldn't take down Bilal. And Brady's got knockout power, and Bilal hit Brady with some nice check counters. Um, I mean, that actually was the biggest adjustment during the fight that I was watching. I was saying Bilal needs to find an answer for that hook. Um, it kept getting hit with that hook over and over and over and over again, but it didn't. It didn't seem to phase Bilal, and then he he just kept the pressure that that like invisible pressure, making Brady kind of gas himself out from the nervous energy and throwing these counters. They kind of get away from me type punches, kind of kind of sap the energy out of him. Bilal put the put the the pedal down to the metal. Said he heard his coach to be in the corner, but. I mean, you can't – Bilal was one of those guys that people kept doubting, almost like Charles Oliveira. He'd have a matchup, a tough matchup, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler. Uh, he's the underdog, and then he comes and does it again, and he wins again. And Bilal's that guy now. The last four or five fights that he's had, people didn't think he was going to win. People didn't think he was going to do good. You have to be a believer now. Absolutely. And I, I'll i say this before we, before we end here. I'll say this. You know, Bilal, you know, Bilal – 
he fought down to fight Sean Brady. I mean, Sean Brady was behind him in the rankings. He didn't necessarily need to take that fight. I appreciate that he did because you and I both know there's a lot of guys who would say, well, what does this do for me, right? It's high, it's high risk, low reward. We all know Dana has mentioned March going to London, going to England with uh, Edwards Usman too. And he mentioned last week, he said, I might want to do Colby Covington, Hamza Chemaev on that card. Now, Listen, say what you will about Colby Covington, all the crazy, weird, stupid things he says outside the cage. Colby Covington is a tremendous fighter. And arguably, I would say he's still the number two guy in the division, or number three guy, I guess, at this point behind Usman and Edwards. Still think he's that guy. But we don't know what's going on. Colby's been radio silent since the whole Masvidal thing. He's got that going on in court. That's not going to play out anytime soon. And maybe that's going to... He Dana says it's not a hindrance, but I don't know. Colby's as quiet as he's ever been over the past like five years and he's been quiet. So I don't know what's going on with Colby. I want to see Bilal Muhammad and Hamzat Shemaev and Bilal has called out Hamzat so much. I mean, he was supposed he actually got matched up with him briefly at the London card last year. And then they changed things around. He didn't get to fight Bilal outside of Neil Magny. No one has called out Hamzat Shemaev more than Bilal Muhammad. You got Bilal Muhammad on a win streak right now, eight, nine fights undefeated coming off a real impressive performance over a legitimate good prospect in Sean Brady. Kind of like we talked about earlier, strike while the iron's hot. If Colby's, you know, hedging his bets or Colby's not, Colby has said in the past he's not interested. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes versus what we're seeing in public. But if Colby's, you know, not interested or doesn't seem to be interested in this fight, make Hamza and Bilal. That's a number one contenders fight put on the same card as Edwards versus Usman. That's a mass. That's a monstrous fight. And how has Bilal not earned that at this point, right? Like, how is he not? Because I, listen, him and him and Gilbert Burns will be a lot of fun. Uh, Gilbert Burns is a monster. I have no problem with that. Him and Masvidal will be fun. That's a big fight too. But he's yeah. earned he's <laughs> earned a fight like Chemaev, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, both of those fights that you just mentioned, if I'm Bilal Muhammad or the UFC, I've got my eye on those two matchups. And I'm talking about not only the Kobe Covington, Chemaev, maybe Slav, I did that shot against Shemaev, but also that Burns Mazadol fight. Like, give a give him a money fight, man. Give him a Mazadol fight. You know, like he's earned it. He 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 he's there. What, what was he ranked? He was five going into five, this fight. Yeah. Yep. Five, five, and then he knocks out the undefeated fighter in Brady. I don't know how much movement he'll get because the, the top is kind of stacked, but um, but he's earned it. Like you said, he's earned it. He earns the big fight and. <laughs> And when there's a fighter like Shemaev that nobody calls out, and he's calling them out, it, it seems pretty simple to me. And it's also interesting, right? Like, Shemaev is an incredible wrestler, but, you know, so is Sean Brady and couldn't take Bilal down. Bilal's an incredible wrestler. It's a really interesting matchup. I mean, I think that's why a lot of people want to see the Colby fight, too, because Colby's got that cardio. He's got that wrestling. Can Shemaev, you know, out-wrestle right. a, a really good – and the, the conditioning thing. Bilal's very similar. I know Bilal doesn't get as much talk as Colby because Colby's Colby, but – Bilal's kind of, in a lot of ways, he's similar. And you could argue, you know, maybe even better striking. So, yeah, it's an interesting matchup with Hamzat. The, uh, but you, you're seeing a similarity between Bilal and Kobe? Yeah, similar in terms of wrestling. Strike, yeah, the cardio, all the things they do well. 100%. Great cardio, solid chin. Not really known for the knockout, but known for putting punches together. Tremendous wrestling. They're the same. They're very, very similar fighters. Um, Bilal is just showing that he is starting to, peak in his career right now well we don't know where kobe's at at this moment 
Yeah, absolutely. Alan, it is always a pleasure to get you on here to break everything down with me. I can't say thank you enough for coming on here after a busy weekend and obviously working the desk on Saturday night. It is so appreciated you come on and do the show. Uh, unfortunately, you do such a good job. We're going to have to bring you back, so you're not getting rid of ah. us. Uh, come back anytime and keep up the great work with the UFC, one of the top analysts in sport. Keep up the great work, and thank you again sincerely for coming on and doing the show with me today. I really, really do appreciate it. Anytime, brother. My pleasure. We'll talk soon, okay? Cheers, brother. All right, bye-bye. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. There he is, Alan Joban. Breaking down the fights, UFC 280. I really wanted to get someone on to break down the fights from this past weekend uh, because, again, what a tremendous card and how could you not want to talk about everything that went down. But let's shift gears because we do have another fight coming up this weekend. And I'm not talking about Calvin Cater, Arnold Allen. Tremendous fight, yes. But on Saturday night from Glendale, Arizona, Jake Paul will take on Anderson Silva in a boxing match. It's actually a pretty good card, too. You got Le'Veon Bell and Uriah Hall in the card. You got Chris Avila and Dr. Mike. I'm not saying they're the highest level fights in the world, but they're fun fights. Uh, I like watching Jake Paul's promotions. It's always fun watching him go out there and do his thing. So, with that being said, we're going to talk now about Jake Paul and Anderson Silva with one of my other regular co-hosts on this show. He used to co-host uh, the great MMA debate with me. He used to co-host the Fight Society podcast with me. He is the immortal, Matt Brown. So it is our favorite time of the week, of course, because now it is Jake Paul fight week. I know every MMA fan listening right now is probably losing their freaking mind. Be like, well, Jake Paul, I hate Jake Paul. But Jake Paul, Anderson Silva is a fun fight. And of course, the immortal himself, Matt Brown, the legend, uh, always co-hosting the show, and uh, we're going to have some more to talk about Matt Brown being on future episodes of this podcast. But, Matt, welcome back. How are you? 
I'm great, man. We, we just got to announce it now, bro. I'm going to be co-hosting with you. And, you know, let's let's hammer it out, bro. And we'll start be- talking about some Jake Paul, like our favorite uh, YouTube <laughs> boxer, fighter, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call him, versus the real legend, Anderson. So they call me a legend, but come on, man. There's levels for that shit, too. And Anderson... Yeah. He's he's with the top. We're uh, we're going old school here because it's funny. I saw, of course, over the weekend. uh, You know, I saw Mark Coleman, of course, our good friend Mark Coleman, at the UFC, and I was like, every time I see Coley, I'm always like, man, I remember the podcast days doing the podcast with you and him, and me and you and me and Loper and all Jeremy Loper, our buddy Jeremy Loper, and uh, I always miss those days. So we're gonna we're gonna relive the glory days a little bit. We're gonna get this going again and uh, and do the podcast. Did you go to I, Abu Dhabi? No, I certainly did not go to Abu Dhabi, but I did watch. I watched from home, so that was as close as I got to oh, okay. Abu Dhabi. I thought you said you seen Coleman at the. Oh, no, I saw, I, I saw. I saw. He was on TV because AJ fought. AJ Anderson uh, fought. So he was in his corner. So I saw. Him. I was like, "Hey, there's Coley." Uh, yeah. yeah so yeah, it always reminds me of when we did the podcast together. Those crazy days. So uh, we're gonna relive those glory days with this podcast uh, and uh, and talk some fights. Uh, I know anytime I talk boxing, I always talk to you because no one, even though you are a mixed martial artist, no one knows boxing better than you. Like, I'm serious. Like when I talk to boxers, I talk to boxers who don't know boxing as well as you know, boxing. Um, So, you know, but you are, you are a boxing, like hardcore boxing guy. Um, And I know this, I know this is a weird one. It's Jake Paul. It's Anderson Silva. It's not, you know, it's not Lomachenko who also is fighting. Uh, uh, it's not, you know, Canelo Alvarez and, and, and triple G it's not Tyson Fury and, and Anthony Joshua or whatever other fight he's doing. It's not that, but it's still fun. You know, it's still fun. And listen, Jake Paul, say what you want about him. He's out there. He's having fun. He's making money. Never going to fault anyone for making money. And listen, people can complain all day. He fought Woodley, fought Askren, he fought Nate Rock. Okay. That's great. You can't say he's not taking a step up fighting Anderson frickin' Silva after what Anderson Silva has done in boxing. Say what you will about Jake Paul. I got, I get it. Not everyone's going to like him. That's totally fine. But you can't say he's not taking a challenge by taking on Anderson Silva in a boxing match. That's exactly right. And we see, and Anderson has a, uh, at least one legit pro boxing win with Chavez. And we all know what Chavez is, you know, <laughs> like he parties, he doesn't train hard and all this, but he's a legit pro boxer with a the legitimately knows how to box, legitimately knows how to throw up a, a punch. He's knocked out some really good guys. So Anderson is proven in boxing. Whereas Jake Paul has never really fought a real boxer. So I think it, it makes it uh, very interesting. And this is one of those fights where, you know, whether Jake wins or loses, like everybody wants to see him lose, but then if he wins, it's great for him, right? So either way, like people are going to want to tune in and see this. I want to see it. I know you want to see it. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Like, I agree with you on the whole Chavez thing. Like, Chavez, we all know what Chavez is. We all know that. But he did go 12. I mean, he did. He got beat convincingly, but he did go 12 rounds with Canelo. You know what I mean? Canelo didn't just get him out of there. Like, yeah. he went 12 rounds with Canelo He's gone with good, you know, solid guys. And listen, you could say he rolled off the couch and fought Anderson Silva, thought it was going to be a joke. Anderson beat him. And I know it was a split decision. That was a joke, too. It wasn't a split decision. Anderson beat him convincingly. Um, Again, but and you say what you will about Chavez. Regardless of how, how Chavez was in that fight, Anderson showed legit boxing skills. 
Yeah. Like Chavez came out boxing him like a professional would box, and Anderson showed legitimate boxing skills. Do you remember that movie from years ago, The Great White Hype? Do you remember that movie, Samuel Jackson and uh, Damon Wayans? I Wayans? know the movie. I've never seen okay. it. So you the know movie, me. I don't watch movies. Yeah, I know. So you haven't seen Rocky, for Christ's sake. So like, why am I talking about The Great Dude, White Hype? I've seen Rocky for the first time just the other day. <laughs> really? For the first time? We always talked about this. You finally saw Rocky. Yeah. yeah um, I-, I wanted to show my kids. They wanted movie night. And I was like, all right, well, I've never seen Rocky. <laughs> you, you know, you get <laughs> So we watched it and um you know it was so funny the whole time because it's kind of a boring movie i didn't realize that like (laughs) there's not really any action until the end so the whole time they're like this movie kind of sucks dad like what the hell and uh but then after it was over because the ending was so freaking glorious like they loved they're like yeah that was a great movie dad yeah dude rocky was about time took you took you long enough matt uh but anyway, the, great, yeah. the Great White Hype is, is basically a movie about a guy, this, this kind of boxer played by Damon Wayans, who's like, you know, this legend, but he's kind of lost the step and he's kind of like, you know, lost interest. And they bring back a guy who beat him as an amateur and they try to build this up. This this like amateur dude who's like, you know, who's never, never took up boxing afterwards, but he did have an amateur went over the champ and they bring him back and they hype it up. And it's, you know, they, they, it's exactly what it says, the Great White Hype. And the champ comes in. He's got a big beer gut. Like he looks like he hasn't trained a day in this. He's all smoking cigarettes. He's got a big gut. And he comes in. The dude knocks him out. Like the champ knocks him out like two seconds. Like it's just a, like he's still even at his worst shape, hasn't trained, smoking cigarettes, whatever. He's still the freaking best fighter in the world. And you're not gonna right. go ahead and be that guy. That's what I think about the Chavez fight. You can say Chavez didn't train. He rolled off his couch. But Anderson went out there and showed legit skills. This is yeah. by far the toughest test of Jake Jake uh, Paul's entire career by a, by a stretch, and that's not a knock on Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley's got legit knockout power, but Tyron Woodley was never a boxer. Anderson Silva is. Anderson Silva's a striker, legit boxer. This is not a walkover fight. And let's be honest, I mean Anderson's a favorite, so there's a lot of people who aren't picking Anderson. There's a lot yeah. of people who aren't picking Jake Paul to win this fight. Yeah, and the fact is, uh, you know, Tyron Woodley was a wrestler who learned how to box you know, be, because of MMA, right? Um, Anderson Silva was a Muay Thai, which is not boxing, but, uh, you know, has a lot of comparisons, you know, has a boxing element to it. Um, he's a Muay Thai fighter for MMA, right? So, like, it's a huge difference, right? Like, he started doing striking arts at a very young age versus where Tyrone Woodley you know, you know, started doing wrestling at a very young age. So that's a huge difference right there. The amount of time that Anderson has spent having punches thrown at him. And, um, you know, that, so compare, I guess that's just really comparing Tyrone Woodley and Anderson Silva, which is, I think we all know there's really no comparison. So that's kind of a moot point, but, um, you know, Jake Paul's going in there with a guy, who really knows how to box, like truly knows how to box. So it really, I think it just comes down Anderson's age and, and his desire, right? Like, like how hungry is he for this? Is he doing it for a paycheck? Um, and of course he's what, 47 years old. Right. So yeah, that's, I think that's, you know, that's obviously the big question, you know? What scares me a little bit about Anderson isn't that I, I think age is catching up to him. I think he's like rejuvenated. I agree, I um, agree on that. Yeah. I've, I've had so much fun watching this kind of like second phase of Anderson's career since he left the UFC. Cause you can kind of tell like he was just kind of going through the motions at the end of his UFC career. I don't know how much he really wanted to be in there. 
And then he comes out and he's had he's been having fun. I mean, I, he knocked the living hell out of Tito Ortiz. Not that that's a great challenge for Anderson Silva, but still knocked him out in like two seconds. And then and then beats you know a legit guy in 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 Chavez Jr. But uh, my question with Anderson, what scares me always about Anderson is his own complacency, because yes. we've seen it in a lot of his MMA fights where he sits back. He lets his opponent kind of come after him. He doesn't throw punches. And then he kind of depends on his pure skill to beat them. Now, there was a day, like when he fought Stefan Bonner, when he fought Forrest Griffin, where he could just do that. He could just pull the trigger because Anderson was that guy. He, you can't you can't do that all the time. It eventually caught up to him because he played. He did. He kind of played around with Chris Weidman, wagging his you know chin in front of him. And Weidman clipped him and knocked yeah. him out. That scares me with Anderson because Anderson does that often you know what i mean he doesn't that's go a great to... point because because that's the legitimate possibility here is anderson's playing around and the first thing to go as you age is your reactions right uh if he's a little bit slow and jake paul you know look he is what he is but look he's a young hungry son of a bitch right like he wants this like this and he hits hard he hits hard he hits hard. We can't say he doesn't. We can't. Yeah. We we can say we can criticize whether he knows how to throw a real punch. We can criticize, you know, whatever. But power. You know, again, you can say about MMA too. There's a lot of heavyweight fighters who didn't know how to throw a punch who still landed a ton of knockouts because they had you know huge power. Right, Jake right. Paul has legit power, and it, you know it, when you yeah, screw I think, around, I think that's kind of like, you know, compared to what, right? Like he probably has decent power, um, but. And I think that's really what this whole fight comes down to, right? Like, we don't really know who Jake Paul is as a boxer, right? Like, fighting Tyrone Woodley, Ben Askren, and the basketball player doesn't really give us a solid gauge on how hard of a hitter he really is. Um, Tyrone Woodley just made a an error um, and got caught very clean. Like, I don't think you'd have to be a power puncher necessarily – um, to knock out Tyrone Woodley, landing that shot that clean. So I think that's, in my my two cents on that, is like that's the big question. Is we don't know exactly who Jake Paul is. Most of these boxers that we watch that are pros, they have hundreds or, or at least a, a significant amount of amateur boxing matches. They come up slowly before we ever see them on pay-per-views or on big cards. We know who they are before we see them we don't really know who Jake Paul is. Yeah, absolutely. And again, absolutely. And and the thing is about Jake, listen, you know, whether you like him or hate him, you know, the guy's putting work in, you know what I mean? Like you said, he's young, hungry. And and one thing that Tyron Woodley said to me when I talked to him a a few weeks ago, he said, what you got to remember about Jake is he's young, he's hungry, and he's got no responsibility. He's just yeah. out there training. He's got nothing else going on right now. It's not like he's a he's a husband and a father and he's a veteran. He's trying to put food on the table. He doesn't have to do this for money. He's got all the money in the world. Uh, he's not doing this for clout because he was already a social media superstar. He didn't need this to gain you know notoriety. He was already That's a star. A um, all he has to do all day every day is go to the gym and train because he wants to do it because he loves and he and he legitimately. I I really do believe he loves doing it. Now maybe he won't love it as much if he gets knocked out. But right now he's loving it. He's enjoying it. He's having fun. And Anderson's not in that same position. Anderson's a veteran. Anderson is the guy. Listen, and Anderson, I'm sure there's part of it that he's doing it for money, but you know, he's probably got, you know, Anderson was well paid. Uh, I don't think he's doing it just because he's broke or anything crazy like that. But Anderson is in a different spot than Jake is. Jake is doing this because he loves it and he's got no other responsibility. He's he doesn't have kids. He doesn't have anything else holding him back. Yeah. And, and that he doesn't can make really it really have 
much of anything to lose, right? Like, yeah. If, like, say he loses, he, at least he lost to freaking Anderson Silva, <laughs> and he still has his social media empire. Like, he's going to get more clicks. If he loses, he'll get more clicks next week on everything Jake Paul than he probably has in his whole career. And and Jake can go from this. If he loses, Jake can go on and fight KSI, which I know you had some fun yeah. with that name recently. Uh, KSI or some of these <laughs> other social media, some of these other social media guys that he could still make a boatload of money. So and, and yo, know, yes, there is a lose. There is a lose in this situation. Getting knocked out's never fun, but he's still in a situation where you know he's just he's kind of doing this as fun. He's doing it because he enjoys doing it, and there's something pure about that that makes you dangerous because he's not going in there because he's like, I got to prove so. Cause you know, you and I both know, cause you and I come from a very similar background growing up in Ohio and boxers are notorious for this. Like when they come from nothing, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're always, they're always fighting for something. And, and there's a, there's that, that proving and that everyone knows the Mike Tyson story what he came from and like how he was always fighting, you know, fighting, you know, his, his roots fighting what he came from. Now, again, we all know the, the saying about, you know, how do you get up in the morning when you're sleeping on silk sheets? I get all that. But there's also an argument to be made for Jake Jake Paul saying that he's just doing this because he loves doing it. He doesn't have to do it. He's not doing it because he wants forcing him to do it. No one, no one, no one was calling Jake Paul and saying you're a coward for not stepping in the ring. Who would he wasn't doing that? He was a he was a YouTube guy doing pranks online. Who's gonna say that he was getting called out by fighters? He was doing this because he loves doing it. And there's a certain there's a certain inherent danger in that that he's just doing it because he enjoys doing it. Whereas Anderson. Listen, let's be honest. Anderson knocks out Jake Paul. You, me, every other analyst, MMA guy in the world is going to say, see, I told you. Anderson's that dude, and Jake Paul quite wasn't. On the flip side, though, if Jake Paul knocks out Anderson Silva, he's going to break the hearts of a lot of MMA people and say what you will about Anderson's age, say what you will about 47, whatever, all these things. It still matters. I said this for years, even at the end of Anderson's UFC career. Anderson losing to Uriah Hall and losing to all these guys he lost to at the end, it doesn't diminish what he did earlier in his career. Absolutely not. But you can't say it doesn't matter. I said the same thing with Fedor. You can't say the loss to Verdum and the loss to, you know, all. you can't say it doesn't matter. You can say that he already did all these great things. His legacy is secured. Absolutely. But you can't say it just doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't erase it. Like, oh, well, he lost to this guy, lost that guy. Doesn't matter. It matters. If Anderson Silva gets knocked out by Jake Paul, it matters. I don't care what anyone else says. It matters. It certainly matters for Jake Paul, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's what I'm saying. I think I think in a weird way, as like Jake, Jake has, in, in theory, if he beats Anderson Silva, he continues to propel forward in, in a bigger and better career. Yeah. Anderson, you know, may only have three or four fights left in him regardless. He's just doing this because he loves doing it right now. So, you know, Anderson gets knocked out. You could say, well, he could just retire and be done with it and whatever and jake moves on but i would argue that like anderson has more to lose because anderson is the legend anderson's the proven guy anderson is the freaking maybe the greatest mma fighter of all time he gets knocked out cold by jake paul that ain't good yeah and and when we talk about anderson kind of having nothing to lose and that that's kind of my biggest fear on the whole uh, you know not not having anything to lose but uh you know just kind of having fun with this and doing it for fun because he loves it and all that stuff. That's kind of my biggest fear. It's like, uh, like remember like when he fought Damian Maya or, you know, like him just kind of playing around in there and not really going after anything and just making it a boring fight. And that's probably, I got to think that's Jake Paul's worst nightmare, right? Like he's throwing all these punches. Anderson's just slipping, not really countering, not coming after him. 
And I could very well see this happening. Uh, you know, Anderson would just, uh, you know, maybe losing a decision on uh, 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 just not having enough volume put out there. Um, you know, Jake just kind of throwing wild and Anderson just kind of making this whole thing just a big joke. When Anderson fought Chavez, you could see how seriously he took it because everyone yeah. thought that was going to be a blowout. It was, you know, and it, listen, I'm guilty of it which too. Is, I was like, which I, is also a lot different too. Again, like Chavez is a legit pro boxer. Yeah. Uh, regardless of whether he trained or not for that fight, which he didn't train for a lot of his boxing matches either. I, mean, <laughs> I know his coaches, like he, he's a, he's been a mess since day one, but you know, he has legitimate knockout power. Like Anderson knew very well, like you look, I'm doing boxing against a legitimate pro boxer. And this guy, if he touches you, it's going to hurt. If if Anderson fights Jake the way he fought Chavez, takes it seriously, you know, Mm -hmm. trained every day, he's like, he's out there to prove a point. I'm picking Anderson to win this fight without a doubt. He's the, he's, he is a more skilled boxer and he has legit knockout power. And unlike Tyron Woodley and Nate Robinson and Ben Askren, he's not giving up 25 pounds to Jake Paul. Jake Paul's not going to be bigger than Anderson Silva. An actual, Mm -hmm. Jake Paul wanted this fight at 185. Anderson asked for it at 187. So, you know, that's, you know. What, what are Jake's dimensions uh, versus Anderson's? Do you know? I think I want to say Jake, Jake I, I met Jake. Jake, I want to say Jake's like 6'1". You know, he's 6'1". Uh, you know, I mean, he's a thick guy. You know what I mean? I think he probably walks around like 200 pounds. You know what I mean? To 195, 200 pounds. Um, but Anderson, Anderson's again. a little taller. Yeah, Anderson's a little taller, longer reach, all those kind of things. But. So if Anderson fights this fight the way he fought Chavez, I pick Anderson Silva, and that's not a knock on Jake Paul. It's just because I think Anderson Silva is the better boxer. Where my concern comes in, what I said earlier about the complacency, about toying around with it, and 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 Jake, I think Jake is taking all of this very personally in the in the sense of that he actually is being doubted. You know, not not people doubting him and saying like, "How serious are you?" You know, you're saying you're going to knock out Canelo. Come on, slow down, dude. You're not knocking out Canelo. You can say he's not taking it seriously in that way, but you can't say he's not taking boxing seriously. Like you can say he's he's a, he's making a joke by saying he's going to go out and fight Tyson Fury and Canelo Alvarez. Come on now, but he's taking it seriously in in terms of what he's putting into the preparation. So if Anderson starts fooling around or sitting back or sitting on the ropes or he's just doing the whole hands down ducking his head kind of thing, dude. I would not be shocked to see Jake Paul catch him and and win this fight, and that scared, mm-hmm. that terrifies me because I got I don't know what Anderson we're going to get. Yeah, this yeah yeah. So what where, where does that lead your prediction then? Because I'm sure we got to get to this right. I'm I'm leaning Anderson because I have faith that An- the last thing I think Anderson wants is to get embarrassed by Jake Paul. I don't think Anderson wants his legacy after beating Chavez Jr. and setting up you know, potentially other big fights down the road. I don't think he wants his legacy to go down as the guy who got knocked out by Jake Paul. I just can't see that in Anderson Anderson losing to, you know, top 15 ranked middleweights of the UFC. Cause he's just not really into it anymore. Okay. I can, I, I kind of get that even though it is what it is. I can't see him going out there and just, pl- and again, if he plays with them, it's because he thinks Jake is a joke. Like he's treating it as a joke, which yeah. that scares me. But if he doesn't, if he goes out there and I got a point to prove and I don't want to have Jake Paul as a loss on my record, I think Anderson Silva wins. But my confidence level, even knowing Anderson and knowing how great he is, my confidence level is not that high in my pick, Matt. I'm being honest. Like my confidence level in picking Anderson is not super high. 
Yeah. And I think I'm, I agree with you perfectly on every single thing you just said. And it's really going to be up to Anderson and it's his decision if he wins this fight or not. Right. If he goes, like you said, he goes out, takes it serious. He put in the preparation, he put in the time. This should be an easy night for him. If he plays around, if he's not taking it serious, if he didn't train serious, then we're going to find out if Jake Paul's real. Right. Like, I think that's, that's what it comes down to, you know, cause then it's going to, if Anderson didn't take it serious again, we still, I don't feel like I know who Jake Paul is as a boxer. So, you know, it's going to be Anderson's decision whether this is an easy fight or a tough fight. And if it gets tough, maybe Jake Paul does have some grit in him. Maybe he does have that power. Maybe he does have some tricks up his sleeve and can land some good shots. Well, yeah, we I'm gotta not be convinced honest. of it, but we don't know. We just don't know. We also got to be honest. Like, when you watch the Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley fights, I was at the first one in Cleveland. I watched the second one when it happened. There were some exchanges in there where, like, because, again, you know, Tyron is not known as a boxer. There were some exchanges in there where I'm like, whoo, man, Jake is lucky he's not fighting like a real boxer right now because he left himself open. And, again, I'm I'm not a boxing aficionado like you are, but, like, I watch enough boxing to know, like, if you don't slip your punches, you don't defend well, you're going to get your clock cleaned. And there was a couple moments in those Woodley fights where I'm like, whoo, boy. I hope he cleans that up before he fights a real boxer because there's some moments you're leaving yourself open where you're going to get tagged and tagged hard. Uh, you know, yeah. Woodley wasn't setting up a jab, like real basic boxing things that like were not happening in that fight that like would happen in a fight. It, and Anderson, we know Anderson has a legit jab. Anderson has like real boxing skills. And and this is what I talk about with, look, Anderson came up striking right through his career. So he understands a, a lot of the, like, like Jake probably does a lot of those things in the gym and probably does them well, probably has a good jab, probably has good footwork. Under the lights is a different story. Anderson has a lot of experience, not only in MMA, but also in Muay Thai. He now has some spirit experience in boxing. He knows how to perform under those lights very fucking well. Like, there's no question about that. He knows how to mentally prepare Um I don't know if Jake Paul knows that as well. Uh, I, well. There's no doubt that he doesn't know it as well as Anderson, but I don't know how well he does that at all. And that's just competition experience, period. Nonetheless, striking competition experience. So that makes me wonder, um, you know, if he's actually displaying the amount of skill that he even has when he fights, right? Yeah. This is what we – this is um, – did he wrestle or was that, was that his brother was the wrestler, he, he, right? His brother was a wrestler. He did wrestle a little bit, but he started getting famous while he was still in high school. So he never did like Logan was a legit, like he was, I think he placed yeah. fifth in Ohio and States. So like Logan was legit, but I don't think Jake ever really went. I think Jake wrestled as like a freshman. And then he kind of, kind of quit doing everything because he started okay, making yeah, money so, doing so that you know, social media. It, right. Yeah. So no. I was going to say, you know, like his brother, he, under, he understands how to prepare himself for competition. He understands uh, like if you make it to states in Ohio, like you're, you know, you know how to, how to compete, you know, like that's just a, um, and, and you know, our high school is extremely uh, tough state here. Anderson knows how to be ready for a competition. Jake, I, you know, I mean, he certainly knows how to um, uh, perform in front of people, but getting punched in the face performing is completely different than you know no risk of getting punched in the face right so yeah i and i to me that's going to be probably the biggest difference maker is just that amount of experience i thought it would be more of a difference maker for tyron woodley 
but like you said, I mean, he didn't do, you know, some, a lot of the basic uh, things that you'll see amateur boxers and golden gloves doing. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm picking Anderson, but I'm not ultra confident in that pick. And if Jake Paul pulls it off, any money off. no, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, and if Jake Paul wins, I won't be sorry. And I know people are saying, you're hedging your bets. Stop fence sitting. I'm not fence. I'm, fi- I'm fence sitting only because I'm scared of what Anderson's going to do. Cause I don't yeah. know because I have enough, I have enough history covering Anderson's career to know there are times when he goes in and he's playing around and fooling around. And I think Jake is good enough to make him pay. If he does that, like Jake is young, he's hungry. He's a strong kid. Um, He's he's good enough to make you pay if you if you if as the as the saying goes if you mess around and find out um, that wor- that worries me. But again, if Anderson takes it seriously and he wants to prove a point with this kid, Anderson Silva wins. But again, I'm not going to be shocked if Jake pulls it off. I won't be sitting here with my mouth on the floor saying I can't believe that just happened. Um, what about you? Are, are you officially picking Anderson? Are you going to Anderson? Yeah, and I say I, I couldn't agree with you more on every single one of those things. It's really going to be Anderson's decision if he wants to go in there and make this uh, showcase performance. I think he could go do that if he wants to make this a more difficult fight and give Jake some chances, which is what it seems to me like Anderson likes to do. You know, he likes to play around. He likes to make it a little bit more competitive, give you some chances. And, uh, you know, in MMA, that's one thing. In boxing, I think that's a totally different thing. You know, giving guys chances in boxing can be very detrimental. And, um, and I, and again, if I think, um, I think if Anderson allows that to happen, which is again, going to be his choice. If he allows that to happen, then we're going to find out who Jake Paul really is. And, and if Jake Paul does have those skills that uh, he certainly claims to have, and again, that he may have in the gym and if he can carry them over into the ring, um, then, you know, he might uh, put a hurting on Anderson and that would be a sad night for everyone, <laughs> at least for us. And uh, maybe all the teeny boppers out there will be cheering him on and everything. But I think for us who have been around the MMA community for a long time and watched Anderson come up through the UFC and have, what, 15 title defenses and just look fucking – make guys look like fucking idiots, man. Uh, like, like what a beautiful run he had. You know, I think it's going to really – be a sad day for us if uh, if that works out that way. Yeah, but I won't be shocked. Like I said, I won't be shocked because and because again we'll on shocked, paper, yeah. on paper, like and again rolling out of bed, Chavez Junior. I would still pick Chavez Junior. to beat Jake Paul. Like I would. I know that styles make fights, and I know that you know you can say like it's not. I get it. It's not math. I get it. But on paper, if he fought Chavez Junior. right now, I'd say, come on, dude, he's not that level yet. Like he may get there, and I know Chavez Junior. is not one of the best guys <laughs> in the world, but you know. I, I wouldn't pick him to win that fight. Anderson did. I didn't pick Anderson to beat Chavez Jr. when they fought. I was like, well, you know, I love Anderson, but, you know, Chavez Jr. is still like, you know, a real boxer. Like, this is still like a well, bit much. It, you know, I would make that same argument with uh, Chavez Jr. You know, it was kind of his decision to lose that fight, right? Like, he, yeah. you know, it's hard for us to believe that he put in the time and energy that he that, and sacrifice that he should have put in to win that fight. And when you don't and the other guy does, even if you have way more skills than the other guy, yeah, I mean, that closes that gap so tremendously by you just simply not putting in the time. But rolling out of bed, like right now, dude, rolling out of bed, like if Jake Paul stepped into an MMA fight with you, I'm picking Matt Brown 10 times out of 10 and twice on Sunday because just based oh, yeah. on pure skill, and that's yeah. what I say here, like based on pure skill, Anderson should win. But, you know, we've seen it happen before where Anderson kind of, you know, messes around. And so, 
Like I said, I'm picking, and I again, I'm fin- I'm fully admitting I'm fence sitting. I'm fence sitting right here. I'm picking Anderson, but I'm saying I won't be shocked if Jake pulls it off. Do I, I? I tell you what, though, you know, I remember when we saw like because I was at the Jake Paul Tyron Woodley fight and it ended in a majority decision, which I didn't think it was. I thought Jake won that fight. I didn't think it was really that close. I mean, it was like you know six rounds to two, five rounds to three, whatever it was. I thought Jake won. But when he knocked out Tyron Woodley and everyone's like, oh, Jesus, like he knocked out, like knocked him out cold. Can you imagine the reaction of the combat sports industry if Jake can somehow do that to Anderson Silva? I mean, good. Uh, I mean, dude. It'd be be a sad day, man. It'd be a sad day. (laughs) Man. I I was just going to, yeah, I was just thinking about that too. Like how many, um, like how sad were we when Weidman did it? You know, and we all love Weidman. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, Weidman's like, a good like, dude. Like, like, there's nothing wrong with Weidman, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, we all love Weidman, and and he absolutely deserved it, earned it, and we respect him. But it was like it was Anderson. He's kind of you know like like I said, he just had that such a tremendous run, man, and just the way that he toyed with guys at times, like like with Forrest and Stefan Botter, and I mean some of these guys, the way that he just played with them, Jesus, you know. And with Chael Sonnen, I mean, that was like the, one of the greatest fights in uh, at least uh, comebacks in UFC history, you know? You know, we just, there's like, there like a special place in every MMA fan's heart for Anderson Silva. I remember when I was at the fight in Philadelphia when he fought Forrest Griffin. That was right after – I can't remember if it was after the Maya or the Talas Lentes fight. One of those fights where everyone said – Anderson, it was a god awful performance. I can't believe, like, it was you know what that one of those ones where Damon or Dana White's like, oh, we might have to release Anderson. You know, it was just a really bad yeah, fight. Yeah. And I remember being in Philadelphia when he fought Forrest, and I seriously thought I was watching the Matrix, like watching him yeah. just duck out of Forrest's way and just like tap Forrest, and Forrest just flops over. And then at one point, Forrest just like waves it off. He's like, I'm done. Get me the get me the <laughs> hell out of here. Uh, I remember watching that and I was just like, that's like the thing Daniel Cormier always says, there's levels to this game. When Anderson is on, he can embarrass you. You know what I mean? Like that's what he did yeah. to Forrest on it. He embarrassed Forrest Griffin that night. And he absolutely has the ability to embarrass Jake Paul if he wants to. Yeah. yeah I, I think at, at least at that time and maybe since like we never seen anything like that before, especially against going up a weight class against a former world champion. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. I mean, we were all—I mean, I probably got fifty phone calls as soon as it happened. Everybody's like, "What the fuck? Like, how do you do that, bro?" <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, yeah, crazy. I, I get, crazy. Uh, yeah, what an what an amazing performance that was. And um, or I'm what, the one that I remember where it really turned me off to Anderson Silva was James Irvin. Oh and, yeah, and you know James Irvin, you know, is what he is. I don't think uh, anybody's really impressed that Anderson beat him, but the way that he beat him. And, and the way that he looked so calm and calculated and, you know, it, it was like he was playing a video game and just, you know, just pushing buttons at the time that he wanted to push them. And um, like a slow motion video game, as a matter of fact, like, you know, it's just happening exactly what he wants to happen happens exactly when he wants it to happen and how he wants it to happen. Um, it was just unreal, man. I remember that fight. He caught, he caught, and he hit him with that one punch. And if I remember correctly, and I don't want people to quote me on this, but I remember correctly, he hit him with that one punch. And didn't he like break every bone in like James Irvin's face? Like he broke his orbital or something. Like he smashed him with one punch. He knocked, yeah, like he, I think he broke, I think he broke his cheekbone or something like that. Like he broke something in Jake, James Irvin's face with one punch. I mean, it, it was as if he had fought James Irvin 50 times before. <laughs> And knew exactly what James was about to do and exactly how to counter it and exactly where to counter. And 
I don't think James had ever seen anything like that before either. <laughs> yeah, dude. When he, I mean, and, and I, just... loved, I loved Anderson because I was uh, boys with Chris Lieben back then. You know, with uh, you know when Anderson first came in the UFC, and and I mean, no one had done anything like that to Chris Lieben. You know, I mean, we we thought of him as the guy you could just punch all day and night, and is just going to laugh at you and throw back. And and Anderson just fucking. Jesus, I mean, <laughs> we just molly whopped him. <laughs> I said it years ago. I've been, I was, a, I was an Anderson Silva guy long before he got in the UFC. When he came in the UFC, I was one of the people saying this dude's about to cause some real problems. And like, I like leaving as much as the next guy, but I was like, this is not going to end well for leaving because Anderson is like precision, nasty striker, and leaving can take a punch. I was like, that's what's going to save leaving here is the fact that he can take a shot. Well, he couldn't take Anderson. Then I said the same thing. Listen, you and I know both know our relation with Rich Franklin. One of the great, one of the nicest guys in the world. But I said going into that fight, I was like, this is not going to end well. Anderson is just, he's on another, he is just, a, he is an assassin on the feet. And dude, he did it time and time and time again. And again, you know, eventually the wheels fall off for everybody. But yeah, uh, I've, I've loved this second chapter for Anderson, man. I've been having such a blast. Like when he went out there, yeah. when, he, when he went out there and knocked out Tito Ortiz, like I know Tito wasn't a big threat or anything, but like he just, he toyed with him and just, I mean, he just, did you see that when he clobbered Tito? Knocked oh, him, I mean, knocked him the hell out. It was so like, it was just, and it, you know, it lasted like 30 seconds, but I was just like, damn, like that was fun to watch. I mean, that's a guy just doing it. For the money, old Tito, man. We got like Tito was one of my first guys that I truly was a fan of back in you know UFC when he, you know the guy coming out with the American flag and the whole team punishment thing. Like, like what a show back in the day Tito Ortiz would put on, man. Um, but then by the time he's fighting Anderson Silva, you're like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, just like, why are you even trying this? You know? Like, yeah, there's like, a go back to. Go back to knocking on doors, running for Congress, bro. <laughs> that didn't work. That, that didn't work. That, 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 didn't, that didn't work out too well for him either, as it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's yeah, there's sometimes when you're just like, why are you doing this? And that's those are the moments when you know they're doing it for a paycheck. You know they're not doing it for legacy at that point. Yeah. Like Anderson, I think Anderson is still doing a little bit for legacy because you know he always wanted to be a boxer. Like he always wanted to fight Roy Jones Jr. Yeah. back in the day. Like I think Anderson's still got something to prove right now because he he's still like I always said I could be a boxer. Now I'm proving it. Uh, Tito was like, how many zeros are you putting on that paycheck? How many can I get? Okay, I'll take on Anderson Silva. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that was the difference between those two. Like, and Anderson well, Tito, just like Tito reminds me of like, like when you go to the bar and you see that guy, and it's like, oh, I'd go get knocked out for that money, my money he's making. Like that's Tito, except Tito actually can get that fight and go get knocked out for that amount of money. <laughs> Yeah. And I, you know, there's no, I mean, I don't know. I listen, I don't know his personal finances, but it feels like that's one of those moments where like he may have needed the money kind of things, you know, like maybe he needed like a little, you know, cash injection or something. He's got had some situations we all know about. So maybe, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what it's for. But yeah, it's like I said, I think they're all fighting for something different. Anderson, I still feel like is fighting for legacy a little bit, you know, and his boxing legacy, what so. he's building right now. Uh, cause I don't think Anderson's worried about money and all that kind of stuff. I think he's doing it cause he always wanted to do this and he couldn't do it. During the prime of his career, he obviously he was a UFC champion. They're not going to let him go box Roy Jones Jr. We all know that. Um, but yeah, like I said, and dude, listen, at the end of the day, we're talking about it. We're all intrigued. We're all going to be watching. You know yeah. what I mean? We're all going to be intrigued and, and we want to see it. I want to see it. Like I said, I'm I'm beyond being paid to cover it. Like I legitimately am curious how this fight's going to play out. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm very curious. And 
again, I think we're going to find out a lot more about Jake Paul in this fight. And that's what intrigues me a lot. Obviously, you know, I'll be cheering for Anderson. You know, he's uh, one of my heroes. So you got to cheer for him. And I, and, um, but I hope that we find out that Jake Paul is a good boxer. You know, I kind of hope that too. I hope that Jake Paul gives him a really good match and we see some real good boxing skill. Cause that's what really bothers me about all these, um, I don't know, Triller or I don't know, whatever uh, these organizations are putting on these kind of circus shows, you know, they're not really boxing matches. They're just kind of, um, you know, stars going in there and, and boxing each other, so to speak, you know, and, uh, you know, I think this one, there's a potential of seeing some really good skill. And that's what I hope for uh, being, as you said, like I'm a fucking boxing guy. You know, I love boxing. I love seeing a great fight. I, I watch. Uh, I, I grew up on fucking Friday night fights, man. Like I want to see some good boxing, bro. Yeah. Well, and listen, I'm not going to fault any of the celebrity guys who want to go out there and box and get money. Yeah. Just don't just don't. Don't say you're going to be, you know, legit guys. Like, I don't care. You can do, go out and make your money. I don't care. I'm all for it. Like, go out and do your thing, make your money. I'm, that's cool. Just make sure you stay in your lane. Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't say you're KSI and you're going to go beat, you know, Canelo or you're going to beat, you know, uh, Terrence Crawford or something. Let's just slow down on like competing with those kind of guys because you ain't going to compete with those kind of guys. Uh, you get you get in there with Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence. You get in there, they're going to knock your head into the middle of next month. Okay. That's yeah. just, it's going to end really, really badly for you and you're going to suffer some serious consequences. So slow down on that stay in your lane i'm cool with it like do your thing stay just you know stay in, just stay there you know what i mean like you know i can i could go to what i can go to a punching machine and hit a punching machine and get a 500 or whatever that don't mean i'm gonna step in there with tyson fury and think i'm gonna do anything because that ain't gonna happen uh you know, <laughs> yeah come on let's slow down on that but and I, to be fair i don't know that all these guys are doing that but i'm just saying like that's my rule go out and do your thing have fun make money cool but, you know, let's not call out the real boxers and think you're going to go in there and, you know, you're going to beat Terrence Crawford. You're going to be. I think Jake pretty, Paul's the only one really doing that, right? Is there anyone yeah, else out there saying I mean, that they're going to fight? Yeah, for the, for, for the most part, I think he's kind of the main one who's done that. And and listen, I get he's doing it for promotion. Let's be honest. He's for not sure, doing yeah. it. He's not he's not doing it because he really is going to go out there and beat Canelo Alvarez. I mean, granted, he would have like a 30 pound advantage on Canelo. So maybe that would help him. Uh, but you know, he ain't going to go out there and beat Canelo Alvarez. He ain't beating Terrence Crawford. He ain't beating Tyson Fury. He ain't beating any of them. but it's all promotion. I get it. We all get it. You know, like we, I understand it. It's, and again, it's fine. Cause it's fine because we know it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like it's fine because yeah. we, Canelo's never going to entertain the real, unless he's just like, I'm done. I just want to, you know, mess this dude up. <coughs> Otherwise, he ain't gonna. He's not gonna entertain Jake freaking Paul in a fight. Come on now, like we all know that, you know, like. I so, mean, you know, when the money's right, though. Well, <laughs> I mean, they want to pay. Like I said, if you, I mean, like I said, you want to keep writing checks. Your 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 ass can't cash. I mean, I guess you want to pay up enough money. I guess you could do it, but uh, again, I feel uh, like it, it would have to be such a significant amount of money because it's not like Canelo doesn't make a shit ton of money already yeah. when he boxes. So it'd have to just be a ridiculous amount of money. He knows he's. You know, he's going to play the A side. So he's going to, you know, they would never, the negotiating table would never work out. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, it's not going to happen. Um, but man, I think, it, you know, I think it'd be cool if someone like Jake Paul got up to that level, you know, uh, like you said, 30 pound difference. He's not going to ever fight Canelo. But, you know, what if he fights, you know, some of the, I don't even know who the cruiserweights are right now, but 
you know, some of the cruiserweight <laughs> guys. I think, I think, I think the cruiserweights are kind of like who are the cruiserweight guys right now. But uh, yeah, we're not in that era <laughs> yeah. of boxing right but now. But I don't know why it's always been that way. The cruiserweight division is always just kind of that in between where no one really cares about it. I think that's why Usyk moved up, and you know, he's fighting a heavyweight now. Like, because he should probably have stayed at cruiserweight, but you know, he, he wanted. You know, he's going to get the the biggest fights in the world now, you know? Well, that's what happened with Roy Jones. Like Roy Jones kept yeah. going up and he fought a cruiserweight and like, everyone's like, who cares about cruiserweight? And he's like, well, let me go to heavyweight. Cause no one cares about cruiserweight. So I'll go take a heavyweight fight. Uh, you know, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. It's kind of strange. I don't know why it is that way. Yeah, it is weird. Well, boxing, boxing's weird. In boxing, it's like you know the the I say lighter, like the lighter weight classes than in heavyweight. Heavyweight's always big, and then but like the in between, the in between, like the the cruiserweight, like there are times where you'll see middleweights, but like you know like the bigger, heavier weights, but usually it's heavyweight and then slight, you know, going down to like 170, 160, 150, you know, down. Yeah. That's usually the bigger guys, you know. That's usually, I mean, bigger stars, I should say, bigger stars. For um, sure, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that is our breakdown for this fight with uh, Jake Paul and uh, Anderson Silva. And that comes up on Saturday. I'll be watching. Matt will be watching. And then we'll be back next week to react. And one of us may be crying, uh, depending on how the fight plays out on uh, on Saturday. Matt, anything else you got going on? You want to plug? Tell people where they can find you at? Oh, man. So much to plug. Where do I even start? <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course, I got, you know, I got the coffee going on. Right. So check out the immortalcoffee.com. Um, you know, people would be very surprised, you know, any coffee drinker. You're a coffee drinker, Damon. I'll I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not actually not a coffee drinker. Yeah. Okay. That's why, that's why we never talked about it then. Huh? <laughs> uh, you know, it's just the best coffee you've ever had, man. It's a very, very special coffee. It's very surprising. Like well, even when I drink it myself, I just had a cup a little bit ago and I'm like, damn, like it's fucking good ass coffee, man. <laughs> so yeah, you check that out. Um, my, you know, I guess I could plug my new instructional on dynamic striking. I got three of them now. I don't think they've released the last two, but I got the clinch instructional. I just finished filming the defensive clinch instructional about a month ago. So that should be out anytime now. I did a partner drill instructional. Me and my buddy Dustin, my strength and conditioning coach, uh, at Coach Myers Goat Gut Check. I'm sorry, at Coach Myers Gut Check. Uh, we're working on an ebook right now for strength and conditioning for MMA. Um, man, I just got a lot going on right now, man. Of course, the gym, you know, if you're ever in Columbus, Ohio, mortalmartialartscenter.com. Um, that's all that comes on top of my head. I'll probably come up with some more, though. You know, you could always follow my my best sponsor, Routine, R-O-O-T-I-N-E dot C-O. Um, if you want to get some the nutrition personalized to your own DNA, right? So, you know, we all take multivitamins and these guys, they, they, they actually take your blood uh, and your uh, saliva swab, right? So they take your DNA and they're going to run lab tests to see what you're, what you're um, lacking. And they're going to make a multivitamin specific for your own body. So, it's actually really good stuff, man. So it's keeping me young, keeping me healthy and keeping me strong, man. Yeah. So every, I, think, every... I think that's all I got today. You know, <laughs> what I'm missing. I'm always missing shit. That's the problem. You know, like, uh, like my socials, I, I am the immortal Twitter and Instagram. Uh, been posting a lot of the guitar work lately. Yeah. Um, well, coming up, coming up in about a month, I feel like we're going to do a special episode, like a before and after when you and I go to machine head. 
Oh God, fuck yeah, yeah. We haven't talked metal lately, have we? Yeah. yeah so we got and, machine and machine so, coming up in maybe, November. So maybe in a, about a month or so, I'll be plugging a song that I'm working on with the guy. Um, yeah, so we're starting our first song. You know, like we're gonna make some actual music now. So nice. uh, should be should be recording it this weekend. Uh, we were just talking about doing a podcast this weekend. Maybe I'll go record the song and then record a podcast. There you go. I like it. I like yeah. it. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk Machine Head. That's uh, coming up in about a month here in Columbus. We'll talk about Machine Head then because that's going to be an epic show. I cannot wait for that. Uh, Matt, yeah. it is always a pleasure. We'll talk next week. Uh, now that you're going to be on a regular schedule with us here, and uh, we'll talk about Jake Paul and Anderson Silva and which one of us might be tearing up after that's over, depending on how it plays out. And uh, and yeah, we'll be back next week for uh, for more podcast action. And uh, now that you're going to be committed and coming back and visiting us on a regular basis. Let's rock and roll, brother. All right. We'll talk soon. Peace out. There he is. The immortal Matt Brown going to be making a regular appearance here on the podcast. Can't wait for that. We've already gone too long. Want to say a big thank you to Matt Brown. Want to say a big thank you, of course, to Alan Joban. I appreciate both of them coming on the show, breaking down UFC 280, and, of course, previewing Jake Paul, Anderson Silva. Uh, make sure you check us out on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. We'll see you next week for more Fighter vs. The Rider. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.